and welcome to the first On Point podcast of 2023. I'm Lance Bertram, your Senior Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Distribution, and your Chief Revenue Officer. And I have the honor today of being joined by two uh, professionals in the industry. First of all, Charles Phillips, Idealise's Director of Sales Development. Charles, good to have you here. It's good to be here. I can't think of any place I'd rather be. And then Kara Kennedy, our, our COO and Executive Vice President of Idealist. Carrick, thanks for joining us today. Lance, a pleasure being here. It's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> I thought it'd be a good idea um, because uh, we haven't all been together um, throughout this tough last two years. Let's do a podcast. Let's, uh, let's talk about some issues. Charles, you were out in the field on a daily basis, and you brought some issues to the table folks want to talk about. I thought we'd address them. And Carrick, same with you. You've got some yeah. ideas and thoughts that you want to address. So, Definitely do. So we'll jump right into it. I'll start, if I can. I know that uh, uh, with the Idealist family, the, the issue of slots and pricing is a big deal. And uh, so I just want to address that. Uh, if, if you don't know, um, Idealist has allocated a certain amount of slots for 2023. Um, those slots are filled, which means that uh, we're signing business presently for 2024. Um, we don't know pricing for 2024. We have this uh, wonderful thing out in California called CARB, and uh, they are kind of— You know, you don't have to put dirty words into this. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> this is true, but they kind of lead the way in terms of emissions— and so forth. So a lot of people think that 2024 is an EPA event. Um, it's not. It's a CARB right. event. Right. And we have 16 states, uh, 16 or 17 states that actually follow California's lead. So the engine manufacturers are trying to determine um, what they're going to have to do in order to meet these CARB standards and if they're going to make uh, two different engines or one engine. And so as we wait for that to play out, we're kind of stuck in limbo. So um, folks are out there um, trying to sign business with no pricing, which <laughs> in, in normal times would be uh, quite an achievement. Right. But, uh, Carrick, we've been able to do it in national accounts, I know. Correct. And, and I, I, could you touch on how we're signing business with no pricing yeah. and no program? Well, and beyond that, it's it's been record years, right? Uh, the, the national account group and the organization, it's been uh, two, uh, well, Record years for national counts, but near record years for the organization. So we're still selling. Um, you got to utilize today's pricing, right? And uh, you, you've got to be open with the customer as well that um, more than likely, uh, more than more than likely, uh, the price is going to change by the time the vehicle goes into service. Uh, we have the provision on the Schedule A that allows us to make that change uh, by the time we fund the trucks 18, 24 months from now. And that's, um, you know, that. We have to be transparent to the customer um, in the way we've done it is as we get surcharges along the way, interest rates rise. And my recommendation is to just over communicate with your customer. Those that you have trucks on order, make sure they understand not only when you're signing it that this is pricing for today. We're going to have model year change. We're going to have surcharges. We're going to have interest char uh, interest rate charges. Right, things are going to change, and by the time that vehicle goes into service, which, by the way, is pretty normal in the finance lease world, the finance lease world isn't locked into any pricing. You know, they they've given their pricing based on today, right? right. Given their interest rates, and hey, whatever it is, 
at that time and in the future, that's what they charge. So we're really in the same boat that has already been set by the finance lease companies. What's different for us is we're not accustomed to it. We're not, we haven't historically not accustomed to um, having any change in our product pricing. Navistar has never changed their price to us once we had uh, the truck on order. Right, right. Until this supply yeah, this chain is new. epidemic. The right. surcharges yeah. came up and, and so forth. You know, you said something, Carrick, I really want to touch on. You talked about uh, communicating and being honest. And our competitors don't get the information from Lance um, that our account managers do, right? So our competitors aren't told the truth all the time. And so it kind of makes liars out of their account managers. You know, just six months ago, our competitors were going out and telling people they could get trucks first and second quarter of 2023. And then they had to come back and tell them, oh, no, we couldn't. Now, are they liars or were they not told the truth? I, I can tell you what I think. I know that our competitors don't always disseminate that information. Well, you have a little history with right, competitors. Absolutely <laughs> right, absolutely, I do. I know they don't. And Lance does. So that gives us an advantage, right? We can go out there and speak honestly. And I don't know if our competitors always can because I don't think they're told the truth. Right. I, I agree with you. I, I, You know, I get a lot of phone calls asking what the best strategy is. And, and Carrick, I want, to, I want to go back and touch on his strategy. The National Account Group reports up to Carrick. So he sets the strategy for the group. You know, some people are like, should I add 3%, 4%, 5% to have a fudge factor because I don't know the pricing? I don't think our competitors are doing that. I think they're going out and using today's mm -hmm. pricing and they'll deal with the increases as time goes on. And I think Carrick is recommending we do the same thing. Yeah. We don't know the price. Use today's pricing. Yeah. We don't know what the price is going to be. We're going to come back and tell you. Some customers are going to end up canceling trucks. It's happened today. Yeah. Um, but as account managers and ideally these locations, we have people waiting to jump into those spots anyway. Yeah. So if you sign the business and be honest with the customer, as Charles said, and said, we don't know the pricing, we're going to come out with it. And then the customer can make a decision from there. Right. You know, and it's not just national accounts that are being signed. You know, there are a lot of local account managers that are still signing a lot of business, right. not knowing the price, not knowing when it's going to get there. You know, and it's not just Teresa Diaz or Mike Hagan or Tom Dejanay. It's it's some people, just everyday account managers. Maybe they haven't made President's Club yet. Obviously, they're going to if they're signing business now. But, you know, some people have 30, 40 trucks on order or you know, it could be on order depending on when that opens, but right. they've got the schedule signed. So, you know, we're going to talk, I guess, a little bit about when it, uh, you know, what do you do, but you just got to keep going after it, right? It's Absolutely. the same thing. Just so, keep going after it. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a shorter period of time, we had the same situation happen with uh, the pre-buy to 2006. Right. It was, they were building trucks at 2000 or, um, you know, 18 months mm -hmm. later. And, hey, we dealt with it as an industry. We all were in the same boat. Nobody was immune and nobody was able to actually come in and build them in four months, right? Just the volume was that big. This is the same situation, just prolonged. Um, we didn't stop selling back then. No reason to stop selling now. What concerns me is there's this defeatist attitude um, and it might come from the top down, from the dealer principal himself down. Who knows where it's coming from or the sales manager, but you've got to have enthusiasm and there's no reason to stop now. It's uh, what if this continues and goes for 10 years? You're going to stop right. selling today? No, we're all in the same boat. Nobody's in a better position than we are. Are they two months better, two months worse? Maybe, but not not very many months, not a year in advance or anything like that where they can get a truck built significantly faster than we can. And so you just can't stop. The other opportunity is 
we all know that relationships need to be built in the sales process. Absolutely. So any of your prospects, you definitely need to better be calling on them still. You need to build a relationship. Right. It takes months and years to build that relationship. Why put that on pause now and then get it started in three years when this whole thing comes back to normal, if it ever does? Right. You, know, you touched on an interesting point about the defeatist attitude that some have. And I think, Charles, you've run into that a bit. I have a bit. With uh, your travels and travails out in the field, you've run into the objection of, well, I don't need to hire another salesperson because there's nothing to sell. And uh, touch a little bit upon that and your thoughts about it. You know, it's interesting because um, you talked about the objection of, I don't have anything to sell. And as salespeople, I've sold for almost 20 years, your job is to overcome objections. One, either internal, external, whatever they are, right? So as salespeople, we have to keep going with the process, and the process works. And whether it takes three months, like it used to, to get a truck built, or whether it takes 18 months in an extreme situation, you know, there's a, there's a time lag, and there always has been. Occasionally, we go out and lease some rental trucks or something like that, and they're immediately available. But if you do this long enough, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, if you do this long enough, you know that there's going to be a time frame between when you sign the truck and when it gets here. And I know this is easy to say. It's easy to say this, right? Because internally we start thinking, man, these objections are going to be hard to overcome. I'm going to go out there and we get it through our head and we start thinking, oh, they're not going to like this. They're going to be mad. You know, somebody, my competitor is going to have a truck available. You know, just get that out of your head. Go with your process, right? That's what, as Lance, you call them our 10 percenters. That's what they're doing, right? They're just going with the process. Right. Keep going out there. Keep doing your job, listen, find out what they want, why they want it, show them why we're different. You know, they're all in the same boat. That's right. And if you're not getting in line, those two years are going to come either way, right? Or a year or however long it is. Yeah. So at the end of that year, this time next year, do you want to have trucks arriving or do you want to be saying, boy, I don't have anything to sell. I'm going to keep waiting. Right. Because uh, you do have something to sell. You do have something to sell. It's just so. the timing of delivery is different. That's all. Exactly. That's all. I mean, and and so when I talk about over-communicating, it's, uh, this is the time to do it. And it, whether it be good news, hopefully that's easy, right? But bad <laughs> news is tough. But bad news gets worse over time. So get it out there. We talk a lot um, when I'm out in the field about how bad news is good news because it's communication. And people can plan if they right. know, if they don't know, then they're subject to surprises, things that they're not expecting. And that's not us being a good partner if we're not communicating and having these discussions. So letting them know, yeah, Mr. Customer, I don't know what the price is going to be. It's going to be close to this. And I don't know exactly when it's going to get here, but it should be around this time. At least then they know and they're getting honest answers. You know, our competitors sometimes go out there and just tell them whatever they want to hear. Right. That's one of the big differentiators. Right. We tell the truth. So bad news can be good news. Right. So, you know, we've we know that the uh, the surcharges that we receive, the uh, increase in prices from Navistar, from the manufacturer, we have to address those. We also have a new thing now, as if we didn't have enough to explain (laughs) to the customer, we have rising interest rates. Yeah. So do we go about that the same way? How do how do we position that to the customer? between the signing date and the date that the truck goes in service. Yeah, I think the interest rate is probably the easiest one because everybody sees what's happening with the Fed rates, right? Yeah. Everybody watches right. whatever news channel, they, they business news channel, and it's always being um, talked about there, right? So 
Um, you know, is it going to continue to increase? We're, we don't have the crystal ball. Um, but as it increases, you know, last week, mortgage rates went down. Right. So there, there's going to be an up and down. I, conti- I expect it'll still continue to go up a little bit more this year. Uh, but at some point, that'll reverse and come back down. Is that two years from now? Is it the end of this year? Who knows? But that one's out in the media. So that one to me is the easiest one. Yeah. Um, I, how, uh, Lance, how we've done it before, right? We will, um, with customers of ours, um, and like Schwann's a prime example, we'll now put a a swap rate. We will not put our interest rate on the, this is what's important. On the Schedule A, we will not put the actual interest rate we use. So let's say we're at 6% is the interest rate that we used. Um, on the rate sheet. On the rate sheet. Uh-huh. We don't want to share that with the customer. Right. That is based off of some other, um, like a swap rate. We'd, we'd rather put in the swap rate because we might be 200 basis points over what the seven-year swap rate is, or we've got to get that information. Uh, get it from your lender, right? What are you basing this off of? Because that's what you want to put on the Schedule A if you can, or at least share it with the customer. Hey, today, swap rates, were at uh, 350 basis points. That's what we base this rate on. Now, that means that we might be 250 basis points over that is what our interest rate is at 6%. We don't share that with the customer. We just share what the, the what our base rate is for, uh, that's published. And then we go, you know, in a year and a half from now, when that when that 350 swap rate is now, you know, 500 um, and, and our interest rate has gone up 150 basis points too, and now we're at 7.5%. Well, you're now saying, well, the swap rates went up 150 basis points. I need to adjust our rate by that 150 that's basis interesting. points. That's so, interesting. So what you're saying is you don't have to, you know, and I, and I tell people, look, if you have to um, – print out the BMO rate um, at the time of signing and then print it out at the time of vehicle and service. That's one way to do it. You're going at it a little differently than that. You're saying, mm. let's tie it to a measurement somewhere else so we're not disclosing our interest rate at all. Therefore, we're not putting ourselves in a position where the customer says, well, I can get a better interest rate than that. Absolutely. Okay. That's a, the, the, that is the reason why we do that. That right? makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think that it's it's easy to to talk about this. It's easy to have uh, some of our advanced salespeople. They can absolutely do this with no question, right? It's not it's not necessarily easy, but that's why we have discussions. And part of the discussion is, Mister Customer, has your interest rate changed, right? And it's not just has your interest rate changed, but man, have you noticed what's going on in the world today? Has sure. your costs gone up? You know, you start having those discussions. Yeah, you start having those. Um, <clears throat> You start having those discussions, and then all of a sudden they start telling you what's going on in their world. Oh yeah, the cost of this has gone up. Oh, our suppliers are causing this, and then you're you're kind of setting it up. So then you're saying, yeah, the same thing happens with what we're doing, yeah. right? I mean, it's the same thing. They're going through it the same as we are. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what <clears throat> Carrick said because you got to if you're going to use the strategy that Carrick just related. You got to plan for it. In other words, you got to talk to the customer at signing and saying, here's what swap rates or three-year treasuries. And then, Carrick, you're recommending swap, what, seven-year swaps? or? Yeah, that's what uh, Wells and, and BMO is coming back okay. to. And uh, we, we should be able to publish those, too. Yeah. Well, you know what? We we should document that with the customer when we sign the, the business. 
so that it's not a surprise when we come back a year from now and say, remember, here's what they were. I told you we're, we're tracking off this measurement. Here's what they are now. And that results in an increase in rate of X. Right. So, yeah, I think that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, and I guarantee you nobody else, n- none of our competitors are able to have that conversation with anybody. Right. I mean, they're, they're scared to go talk to them. Um, you know, we talk about activity a little bit and what do we do during this interim time? You know, you should be talking to your customers about what's going on in their world. Yeah. Right. And you find out all kinds of different things that are going on in the industry. Right. And it allows you to have those conversations a little easier, a little freer because you're talking about it. You're talking about the business. You're talking about uh, the world. You're talking about supply and demand, everything. And then that just comes up as a matter of conversation. Well, here's where we are. Right. 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 You know, Charles, we both of you have said there's no reason to stop signing business. There's no reason to not be optimistic. Yep. You know, bad news can be good news. When you sign a piece of business and it's going to be 12, 14, 16 months before the truck comes in, how do you manage that relationship with the customer over those 12, 14, 16 months? Because it it seems to me you run the risk of not communicating with your customer and you know, some customers have canceled. And I think some customers have canceled because somebody has come in and said, 14 months, we can get it in 12 months. Right. And so how important is it to continue that relationship and further the relationship during this interim period? I I think every successful salesperson will tell you the same thing. It is vitally important to continue that relationship. And it can't just be stopping by saying, hey, how are you? Right. We still have valuable things to communicate. Um, you know, we just finished the new customer orientation this last year. And for those out there that don't know about it, it's a great tool to sit down, bring the customer over to your location, introduce them to everybody, and you start building that relationship. Mr. Customer, here's what we're going to do for you. Here's all the people that are going to do it for you. Just letting you know these, this, is your, this is how it's all going to be put together and work. You know, we talk about if there's a, a change in decision makers during this time period. Right? If you're not doing the new customer orientation at that point, you're doing yourself a disservice. Sometimes the person you sell to leaves, is gone, yeah. gets promoted, yeah. does mm-hmm. something. Right. Yep. So then you have to reestablish that relationship. And if you're waiting three, four, six months because, oh, boy, there's nothing really to talk about, you come back and might, you might not know anybody that's there. You right. waste right. a great be... opportunity. You waste <clears throat> a great opportunity to build a new relationship because that, and, and just a sidebar, is – We've always said if there's any change in the account, be it the salesperson leaves from our side, there's a gap, yep. right? Because the relationship is is lost and needs to be rebuilt. If same thing on the other side, if a customer changes, the manager, the fleet manager changes, whoever we did business with is gone, we better be right in there the next day, you know, very shortly after building a relationship and, and stay away from the, well, the way we used to do it, stay away from that comment. Right. That's a trigger. There's a reason why this person is right. in there, and they have their own ideas. But, uh, yeah, you you can't let weeks and months go by if that kind of change happens. Well, and we've also got opportunity. If they're in ownership, and let's say they've got some 2017 whatevers, right, and those are starting to give them trouble, you know, do we want to have a discussion about, Mr. Customer, maybe we can do some dedicated maintenance program. Get these on a solid PM program. You know, talk to you about how we can keep these trucks optimal, right? They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be as good as a full service lease truck that we're bringing in or a rental piece of equipment, but we have the expertise 
right? I mean, we do. Mm-hmm. So we have the ability to put these on a, on a PM program, uh, talk to them and say, let's keep these trucks running as long as possible because you're extending Just to keep them. the relationship yeah, going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not just Absolutely. to keep the relationship, but to make the relationship stronger. Right. 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 So we're helping them in their current problem, and then we're solving it in the future when it comes in. Right. So it just gives you more opportunity to help. You know, um, safety meetings, uh, those are perfect ways. Yeah. You know, either bringing people in or going out to their location, and you say, look, here's how we're going to help. And that way, when you're visiting someone, you're bringing value. Right. It's great if you want to show up and say, hey, you want to go have a beer or play some golf or do whatever. And that's wonderful. We need to build relationships, but you're not necessarily bringing value every time. There's no right? reason why you can't bring value before the truck even goes into service. That, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And a hundred different ways. Yep. And we talked about uh, having a decision maker leave and that can be like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Well, when you start bringing value, let's say you bring the service manager over to talk to the to the. Uh, Uh, warehouse manager or whoever's in charge of their equipment you build a relationship there so you find other ways to start building the relationship you start stacking the relationship you know maybe you have your uh, general manager or your dealer principal just send a note to the person hey i understand how things are going right now this is tough i want to let you know that we are here to help you and hopefully my team has been taken care of you you know in in a way you can almost look at it as an opportunity because normally the dating and the marriage happens pretty quickly. <laughs> and then you have to prove yourself, you know, because right. it takes three months for the truck to come in. Now you've got a year to prove your value. So at the point at which the truck comes into service, your relationship already should be sound at that point. You know what I mean? If you're doing the things that you're saying, Charles. Yeah, and you can even, um, and this is get, this gets a little nerdy, but for me, I'm I'm not as quick and bright as Lance and Carrick are, so I have to write That's things true. down. That's yeah, true. it's true. He tells me this on a regular basis. But collectively. But collectively. <laughs> collectively. Right. So right. you can actually schedule this out and say, you know, for the next um, year, once a month, here's my plan. Right. I'm going to introduce the service manager. Uh, month number three, I'm going to introduce the dealer principal. Month number six, you know, we're going to do this and have a, a safety meeting, right? So you can kind of put these little steps in. Yeah. To help remind you, which I think is always important, because if you just plan on remembering, or at least if I just plan on remembering, I forget. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, I, I just I talked uh, yesterday, in fact, with Jeff Mertz of, of uh, Legion's Idealis, and we had the same conversation that he's got a plan for oh. the twelve months. Here's what I'm going to do sixty days out. Here's what I'm going to do 120 days out, and he maps it all out. And so if you're professional enough to do that, you could really turn this into an opportunity. Right. Absolutely. The other, the uh, comment I want to make is um, a, a, a credibility killer is a surprise. It, customers hate surprises, right? None of us like surprises unless they're birthday parties or something like that. <laughs> but uh, the um, um, don't let the in-service date when the truck is delivered or actually the first invoice uh, of that truck be a surprise. Right. Don't let them see the $300 a month increase that they're going to get. Give them an idea. If, if you've got six months out, you've got 12 months out still, run the rate. If it's if it's different now, if the if the, if we've had surcharges in model year and interest rates have increased, which they have, I'm sure, since you've signed the business, why don't you give them an update? Hey, mm-hmm. If we're putting it in service today, we're up $125 over what we signed for, right? This isn't your guarantee for, for when this truck goes in service, but I'm just giving you an idea. 
you know, uh, and who knows, maybe interest rates will come down a little bit and that'll help bring this down. It's better than kicking the can down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We found that out in the field. Definitely. And just this week I was at Robert's talking to Robert's idealies, Robert's idealies Mm -hmm. talking to them. And you know, they said, boy, I had a couple of customers because we waited till the end to kind of say, here's the price. And they were, they were, very upset. Oh, that, that's maybe not price. the word. It's sticker choke. You and know? so, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate them sharing that because a lot of times we just had theory starting this off. Hey, here's yeah. what we think you should do. Here's what, well, this is this is empirical data, right? This is what there is happening. And Carrick's 100% right. You know, let them know, hey, we got another increase. It's going to be, you know, about this much. I don't know what the final number is, but it prepares them. And we talked about how bad news can be good news, right? And this is bad news because it's a it's an increase. I don't want this, but you're not surprising them, and you're right. not showing up with a billy club, right, to bat them over the head right. after 12 months and say it's X amount. It's a little bit at a time. All right, let's let's change gears for a moment um, and talk. You know, we talked about aging um, rental equipment. We talked about aging equipment, and uh, you know, especially in the case where. We have trucks running over term because it takes us 18 months to get the new truck in. Well, the rental side of the business is suffering the same thing. And I, I may be the most hated man in, in, <laughs> amongst the idealist rental Maybe. Um, <laughs> managers in the organization because I didn't allow folks to order rental vehicles under the last two programs. And that was a tough decision. But had we done that, um, the big organizations within the uh, Idealist organization would have taken all the orders and we wouldn't have had uh, trucks for full service lease folks. And we will allow rental orders when we come out with this 2024 program, whenever it is that we do uh, come out with it, it probably won't be until spring. But what that means is people are running rental equipment um, way past what they expected to run rental equipment. Utilization is up 90, 95, 100%. Right. So there are some maintenance liabilities we're running into. What are your guys' thoughts on some ideas on how to manage that that liability and problem? I mean, there's a couple of things. And as a, as a sales guy, I always think communication. And I worked on a rental counter a long time ago. And we would always ask the customer when they come back, hey, how'd the truck run? That was fine. Thanks. Okay, good. And then that was it, right? There wasn't a whole lot of in-depth conversation. Well, now... I think sometimes people are afraid to tell you how the truck's running because they don't want to get accused of breaking it, right? I think we really need to put a lot of emphasis on the rental counter uh, to our rental account managers, to our service people, whoever is accepting that truck when it comes back. Mr. Customer, uh, anything we should know about, you know, you know, we want to make sure the truck is up and running. And these are things we should do normally, but they're kind of more important now. So we don't want there to be secret things or things that we don't know about on that truck that may be giving us a you know a little bit of an issue because if we can fix it in the shop, it's a lot better for everybody than if the next rental customer takes it and it has a problem or whatever. So, you know, having that communication with customers as they bring those trucks in constantly and just really reiterating how important it is to know how they're running. Yeah, and I know we, uh, um, you know, the, the rental market and how we go about it and how most everybody does, right, um, aggressively depreciate. Um, so you can get out of a vehicle and keep them in three, four years. And if that's how our locations have been, our affiliates have been um, attacking it or going after it that way, 
extending it out for another two years, so five to six, usually a rental truck on average has fewer miles than right. what a lease unit would, right? So yes, I understand and I agree that the maintenance cost is going to get more expensive, but it shouldn't be that significant as long as it's not going past that six-year mark, right? Now, to your point, Charles, is um, now do we use technology, right? We have technology, right. OCC. Yep. Are you all connected? Do you all have telematics on your trucks? Are you are you following and watching OCC? Find out what's going on with that vehicle before it happens over the road on the customer. And uh, trying to fix anything you can, to your point, um, before it becomes a major issue. Uh, now, that's not picking up lift gates and, in many cases, reefers, that right. type of thing. But So you're going to have to do a lot more visual inspections, ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. when the driver brings it in, um, see what you can find out. But, yeah, yeah there, there's... No real hard and fast rule here, but uh, I don't think we should be too concerned as long as we're not going too far past six years. You well, made a good point because our recommendation has been for years to uh, put your rental vehicles on a four-year term to the least residual less $5,000. And if that's what you've done, running it out another year or two years, you're still within a six-year term. If you've been running your rental equipment for six years, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. Because now you're going to run it for eight years. So hopefully um, people that have followed the recommendation that we've put out to the organization are going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and kind of like the sales process, follow your service process, right? Make sure you're getting them in on time for PM. Right? Make sure that you're doing your visual inspections when you go out. It's just kind of uh, making sure you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's on all of the process. Yeah. You know, don't be, don't be lax. Well, does it make sense to even step it up? And, and right. instead of 90 days, you, you look at it monthly because what you're not getting in it is a consistent, not to say that customers, even on lease trucks, give us consistent driver write-ups, but you're even less con- in, uh, consistent with uh, rentals. Right. Right. So you're not getting real good information. I know you say, let's ask the driver. Yeah, we should. But a lot of times we're not getting that information. So we need to do, probably need to step up how often we inspect the vehicle. Well, especially when you think people aren't turning them in every three days, right? We have long-term rental customers right now. I think customers are afraid if they turn the uh, truck in, they're not going yeah. to pick it up again. Yeah. Right. Right. And so do we have that same relationship with our rental customers that we do with our lease customers? Probably not. Not as good. I mean, maybe. But, you know, we need to step that up a little bit. So it's almost like treating them like a lease customer, you want to talk to them regular, give them a call every couple of weeks. Hey, just want to make sure everything's okay. How's the truck right. running? Yep. You know, because they're not maybe used to having them for that long. Uh, we're not used to having our rental trucks out that long. You know, they come back, you know, come back, go out, come back, go out. That's that's the right. rental process. That's changed. So we need to change with it. Well, I, I think it it's changed, certainly, especially when I talk to folks who say that 50, 60% of their rental fleet is out as interims. Yes. And it's going to be out as an interim for a year, right? And, and I think, uh, just to touch on another point, there's this misconception out in the, all of us have been in the industry for more than 25 years. And, so you're you know, saying we're old. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that. Some older than others. Um, but you put out an interim and you, you used to give the customer the same rate as the lease rate. Right. And because it didn't really matter, it'd be three months before the truck came in. That's changed now. I know it's changed with national accounts. Doug Gosnell has implemented a new policy. But I think it's important to know from a profitability standpoint, when you put out an interim for 12 months, you don't have to stick to the lease rate. There's nothing in the VLSA. There's nothing in the schedule that says you do. 
So I think it's important. Most people now are putting those interims out at the North American rental rates, which, by the way, are going to go up again uh, next week. Supply and demand business, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think it's important for the rental managers to understand you don't have to do business the way we always did it, especially not when we're contractually not obligated to do that. Right. I think it's just been a standard process in the industry. It's what Mm -hmm. we do. Everybody does it. And uh, so we feel like maybe it is a contractual, but it's not. Yeah, nothing in the VLSA that says uh, there's an interim rate doesn't exist. Right. And before, if it was three or four months, you could absorb that low cost for three or four months. And it was a cost of doing business and a courtesy. And that's great. I think we're sometimes we run into it, uh, run into some problems as we committed to this, you know, a year ago. We didn't know how long it was going to be. And so we have people currently in an interim rate. Right. And again, these things are easy to say. They're hard to do. But go out and have a conversation with your customer. Right. And you almost gonna you want to say, hey, I, I need a little help here. Right. And whether it's getting them up to full national rental accounts or maybe it's a step program, but you can have a conversation with the customer. Again, you know, being honest, being transparent, sure. having integrity. Look, in the old days, I could afford yes. to lose a little money for three months because of the relationship with you. Now, I can't afford to lose a little money for 15 months. Yes. So right. you, you have those conversations. And it's business conversations, and we're talking to business people. So right. they, they understand yep. that. I want to jump back to uh, uh, going back to our account managers who, uh, you know, some of their concerns and complaints are that, you know, they're signing business and they're not getting paid right. for 15 months. Right. And I think this has been another disruption in our industry because traditionally um, us and our competitors paid commissions when the truck went in service. I know for a fact Penske has changed that um, to paying half the commission at signing and half the commission at in-service. Carrick, I think you implemented this, this strategy with national accounts. Yeah, early on when this started to be prolonged, we realized that, hey, our salespeople are going to um, starve. Time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, so it was, uh, we've implemented, I didn't realize Penske does it, but uh, um, we we pay now instead of, it used to be 100% commission at time of delivery. Um, but now it's 50% upon signing and then 50% at in-service. Um, that's a policy for now. Who knows if that'll change? I, I kind of like the idea. I've had some discussions with uh, some general managers uh, throughout the organization, and I've heard an interesting concept that they like this idea all the time because what it does is that salesperson, in normal times, let's say it's six months to deliver a truck, um, and you have a salesperson that's going on vacation or have something coming up soon, but you know what? There's no real drive to get that business signed before vacation because, hell, I'm, I'm not going to get paid for six months on it anyways. If you have a little incentive there that you're going to get paid as soon as you sign it, there might be a, a harder push from that salesperson. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that salespeople can be motivated by money? I hope so. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? If, if they're not, I don't know what they're getting beat up for all the time. Junior wants an Xbox for uh, Christmas, uh, and it's uh, November. Yeah, yeah I got to come up with a way to pay for it. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so it's something to consider going long term. But right now, that's what we're doing just to help the uh, the salespeople out. You right? don't want to see your sales guy out on the street selling oranges to make ends meet. No, right, right. No. So, yeah, it's definitely it's a real thing. The sales guy, the salesperson cannot control when the truck is going to get here, 
right? And a lot of ways, I think we look at that um, in-service data as, as a measure of success. And I think that's shifting. Now we look at, at signing business as the measure of success. Yeah. It's like when you sign it, especially nowadays. I mean, it's it's even more impressive people signing business when <laughs> don't know what the price is going to be, don't know when it's going to get here. Yeah. You know, so I think rewarding them when they sign the business makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah. And I realize, you know, initially managers might be thinking, oh, that's a cash flow issue. It, it If you really think about it, it's not. I mean, yes, it is. But unless you're signing, you know, hundreds of thousands of vehicles, but uh, you know, you're in large enough organizations that uh, can be overcome. Yeah, well, I used to get that excuse when we talked about this with some small dealers. Mm-hmm. They'd say it's a cash flow issue. You know, we're talking about paying somebody a few thousand dollars ahead of the truck um, starting to generate revenue. Yeah. I think as our organization and Navistar's organization has changed and evolved into larger groups, I don't think the cash flow is much of an issue for right. these guys anymore. Right. Let, let's switch gears uh, for a minute. Charles, you told me that um, you and Jim Gilly have told me that the electric vehicles has been a major topic of discussion yes. um, as you travel throughout the U.S. and Canada. So let's talk about that for a minute. What are y'all's thoughts on electric vehicles? Oh, boy. You know, the thoughts. Um, it, it, I think that our affiliates are hearing it from the field, from their customers, and from their prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the air. It's everywhere. It's uh, inundated through the social media uh, television, politics, you know, everything is out there kind of pushing this. And whether it makes sense or not, and, and that's up to individuals and their own analysis, it's it's in the air. And people. And so we have to address it some way. Mm-hmm. And when I look at it, I see right now, and this may be, not, may be something we edit out later, Lance, I don't see an expert in electric vehicles out there. I don't see that there is somebody that the entire country is going to and saying, this is who we need to go to for electric vehicles, right? Correct. I agree I mean, you got, you got maybe on cars, you got Tesla, it's everybody kind of defaults to that. But there is no default um, from, the, from the commercial truck side. At least I haven't seen it yet. So this gives us an opportunity. And, you know, we see a lot of things in sales that, uh, come up as opportunities. I think everything's an opportunity mm-hmm. as a, as a sales person. So you're just too damn optimistic, dude. I am so optimistic. <laughs> you know, I, I love it. It's like, it's like, I, I live for the objections. Right. And so you, you find out that there's, there's a, somebody out there that wants this, you know, I bet I could sell it to them. So when we talk about expertise, I think we need to figure out ways mm-hmm. to become smarter, uh, to become more knowledgeable where we can. And back to that bad news is good news. Sometimes there is no information. Right. Right. And right. And, and then we have to be honest about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, so. I, get, I get the phone calls all the time. Right. Hey, what's it going to cost to maintain this electric vehicle? I'm going to quote one to a customer. And my answer makes me sound like a moron, but I don't know because we don't have any data. You know, nobody knows. Yeah. And, and that, then, that's the problem here is, uh, uh, <clears throat> you, you know, there's several things going on. You've got it's And when you pull CARB, California, into it, you have. There are low NOx regulations, right? Um, you have, and that affects uh, the diesel engines, and that has nothing to do with electric vehicles at this point. But then you have ACT, which is Advanced Clean Trucks. That's the OEM regulations. Um, that's what was set first, and they had to sell what ten percent of uh, what you did in California in two thousand twenty-four or five. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have that in my head, but have to be uh, electric vehicle. Well. 
The manufacturers don't have that many vehicles yet, right. and I don't expect they will then. So there's a caveat that said, well, um, well, I shouldn't even say it that way. That so that's the OEM side, and they were pushing. Well, if you don't have a buyer to buy 10 percent of your electric vehicles, how are you going to do it? Well, so then they came back and said, we have ACF, which is now Advanced Clean Fleets. So now it's at us and our customers saying, okay, you guys. We realize that, oh, yeah, the, mm -hmm. the, the OEMs need to have somebody that is forced to buy them at the same rate that we're, we're re requiring the OEM to sell them at. So, <laughs> but that right now is ACF is a CARB regulation that's proposed. It is not set in stone. There's supposed to be some ruling coming up in March. Doesn't mean it's a final ruling, but this is all March of 23, and we're talking about January 1 of 24. So, I mean, there's just so much right, going on here. Right. Now, we just got the uh, final ruling um, on the EPA 2027, um, which is taking NOx down 90% from where it is today. It's at 0.2. It's going to go to 0.02, right, at some point here. And mm -hmm. um, Cummins is at a point where uh, they will be ready for that January 1, 2026. So they're claiming a year in advance of the EPA. However, CARB is pushing faster than that. So now, as I, as I learn more about this, EPA could override and overrule CARB, but they never have. They give them a waiver and say you can do whatever you want and work autonomously. However, you know, we're just we're waiting. I just think this is going to get caught into a, a, a big legal uh, battle within the, uh, within the industry and within the country. Um, I'm not going to say that, boy, that's going to make uh, CARB push us to 2027 like EPA, but I, I just, there aren't enough equipment, both low carb uh, or uh, low NOx, I should say. There aren't enough low NOx vehicles to be built next year and in 25, and there aren't enough EVs. You know, so there's something's got to give. Something's got to give. We're, 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 we're watching it. We're working with people. We're trying to strategize here, right? And what do we come up with? Um, but the problem is our OEMs don't know the answers. Right. And we're kind of in the middle until we have better information. Now, let's go to electric vehicles and how to rate them, right? Yeah, and just to stop you for a second, I think what both of y'all are saying is that it's kind of an unknown entity. We need to be proficient to be able to explain it because there yep. will be some demand Yep. for it, yep. whether it be 10% of trucks built, 5% or 20%, we have to understand the technology. We have to be able to rate it. We have to be able to explain it. However, let's be cautious going forward because we don't know if the technology today is going to be the same as it is five but years from now. There's so right? many unknowns to this, right. and we, we exist on what we can predict. And right now, I don't know what we can predict with these. Absolutely. Nobody can. We talked to the OEMs. We talked to you know several different people. That nobody knows because how do we get our how do we get our information? Data, right? Right. We've been asked how do we set the residual. Well, we don't know zero, right? Because we don't know. We don't know. And then we're asked, well, how do you set your residuals now on diesel trucks? Right. Well, we have history. There's a lot of data there. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of history. A lot of data. So unfortunately, we don't have that. Same with maintenance. Right. We don't have data yet. Right. We can make some assumptions, but we don't know. Um, so it's going to be a different way to, to rate this. Um, we need to be able to discuss it with the customer, again, being honest and transparent. Nothing wrong with saying we don't know. It sounds odd, but uh, nobody knows. Well, once I get my time machine built and can travel into the future, it's going to be to pick 
Powerball number is not, uh, <laughs> not, uh, yeah. not well, up you know, and, and, you know, to that point, um, Dave Helge went to uh, TMC, the maintenance council, um, last year mm-hmm. and, uh, they had this, he whole, was going to come back with all the oh, answers. Yeah, all the answers, right. <laughs> so they had, um, the one that he was really interested in was UPS and a couple other carriers, um, were presenting on maintenance and EV maintenance. Um, there was basically nothing. They right. they had nothing right the, at least that they were willing to share, and it was it was just a waste of time uh, for yeah. that <laughs> that seminar. Unfortunately, um, and I don't want to call out that that company, but I mean that shows you this the size of company that you know that's been playing in EV for a while, right. and there wasn't a whole lot of information right. that they had. I, I think uh, to kind of wrap up the electric vehicle thing, our recommendation, and you guys tell me if you disagree or agree, our recommendation right now is to rate it as a full-service equity lease, yep. which means you take the residual down to a dollar. Um, it's a fake finance lease. It has a maintenance contract with it, of course, um, just like a full-service lease. And what do we rate the maintenance as? Right now, we're saying rate it just like it was a diesel truck. Yep. And if it comes out 11 cents a mile, that's what it is. Because, yeah, th- there's less componentry, obvious obviously, that uh, you have to work on. But tires and brakes, the tires are talking about being twice as expensive <laughs> as what a diesel truck uh, tire costs. So, so what you're saying run. is, since we don't know what the batteries are going to be, we don't know how long they're going to last, we don't know whether you can put in a charging station, we don't understand if there's going to be uh, any specific maintenance cost or tire cost, we don't understand what the residual is going to be, is that what you're saying? I'm saying that I'm saying that if a customer, I'm saying that if We're a customer, on top of it, right? I mean, we just don't know. Hey, yet. man, right. we don't have the history. Look, look yet. here. If a customer is willing to pay two hundred and sixty thousand dollars for a straight truck, he'll pay thirteen cents a mile. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, so anywho, I I appreciate. Uh, we're running out of time here. I want to wrap up, but uh, uh, both of y'all have very busy schedules. Um, not me. I just kind of hang out all day. <laughs> nice. but, but I appreciate you coming in. Charles, um, if anybody wants to reach out to you to, to come in, uh, to have you come in Absolutely. and help them with sales, how do they reach you? Uh, they can email me. They can email you. They can give me a phone call. Uh, do you want me to get my number out over the air? No, I wouldn't do that because you never know who's going to end up listening to this uh, podcast. That could be really fun. Though. Right, right. I mean, that'd be a good story. <laughs> right. But yeah, and, just reach out to me. Uh, the schedule does get filled up. Uh, go to the affiliates. I'm going to Canada next week. Uh, hopefully do some good work there. Uh, travel anywhere and everywhere. And, you know, the most important thing is that you work with the individual locations and their individual markets because all the markets are different. So we have to blend what we know with what's going on in the real world. Right. And I love doing that. Right. And Carrick, I know you've got a plane to catch. So uh, thank you for joining us and take some time out of your uh, your day today. Yeah, appreciate the invite. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right. So that's your first Ideally On Point podcast for 2023. I know you enjoyed it. I know you're looking forward to the next one. So uh, <laughs> until next time, signing out, Lance, Charles, and Carrick, have a great week selling. Mm-hmm.